The following audio is via a Skype call. Don't you have some kind of a line that you keep open for emergencies or for celebrities? I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday. And of course, none of that would be possible if it weren't for the yeoman's duty put in by bad boy Whoa. Benny Mathers at the board. How are you doing today, Benny? Wow, very well. That was the introduction. <laughs> I'm impressed. You didn't know you were a yeoman. I huh? didn't. I, can you enlighten the rest of some of our listeners who have no idea what that is? <laughs> Just one of those guys who sees himself as duty bound oh. and like many ghosts, shows up again and again, even past the time of their death, showing up for duty, like someone on the Queen Mary or the Titanic, or perhaps a, an airplane in the field, and they're there still trying to fly, still trying to keep the ship going in the right direction. So, you never give up. So basically, once I pass on, that eminence will still be running around here in the studios after I'm gone, right? That's I'll true. be lingering in the hallways. And the station will be cool with it because it's yeah. unpaid labor. Right. Bingo. See, it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> We're so happy today to be able to talk to Marie D. Jones. She is a prolific author. She is the author of a book that we can't wait to talk about. And we've been diving into it, though I readily admit that there are so many stories here. We are only partially through it. And we said, we have more than enough material for this one-hour interview. We're just going to have to have her back for part two and maybe part three. The book itself is called Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. How creepy, in a good way, is that? Suzanne, do you have some mad props about Marie? We need to get her on board with us. We do. Marie D. Jones is a fully trained disaster response preparedness member of the Community Emergency Response Teams through FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security, and she is a licensed ham radio operator. She is the author of over 15 nonfiction books on cutting-edge science, the paranormal, conspiracies, ancient knowledge, and unknown mysteries. She is a regular contributor to New Dawn Magazine, Fate, Paranoia Magazine, and other periodicals. She has been interviewed on over a 1,000 radio shows worldwide, including Coast to Coast AM. She makes her home in San Marcos, California, and we are very happy to welcome her back to Manson Mitchell, Marie D. Jones. How are you today, dear? Hi there, there's great. But while well, you have an older bio because I have literally up to twenty three books now. <laughs> oh, you do. Well, I took I that right off the so jacket quickly. of your most recent book. Well, that's that may, that may include the books that's published by that publisher. I actually have three more of the work too, so I think at some point I need to just slow down. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Well, we're delighted to have you with us, Marie. We're going to talk about Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. What a wonderful book. I mean, it's just thrilling to go through these stories. It absolutely gives me goosebumps at times. I'm amazed. But before we get into that, Marie, 
Suzanne and I wanted to give you an opportunity to offer a reminiscence about a dear ghost. And we're talking about Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We did a program in her honor a few weeks ago, and you were otherwise scheduled, so we could not include you that day. And I promised you when we booked you for today that we would make time at the beginning for you to offer any recollections of this wonderful woman and the influence that she had on authors like yourself. Oh, my gosh. No, just give me goosebumps her name because first of all her death for so many people was so unexpected it hit a lot of people right in the heart because when I first started out and all through my writing career she was one of the most generous welcoming uh, people and I, I always felt like I was pestering her you know Rosemary you do this or what about this what about? and she always um, you know corresponded with talked to me, contributed to some of my books. It didn't matter how busy she was. She really, truly believed in what she was doing. She wanted to help other people get the, the information out as well. One of the really interesting things though, that I remember about her is I was working on a book called Demons, the Devil, and Fallen Angels. I was, it was a book that I had been asked to write for my publisher. That's not normally subject matter I might pursue on my own. A little scary. Um, but, you know, I remember she gave me, like, a really gentle warning. <clears throat> Excuse me. About dealing with that kind of darker material and, you know, how to protect myself emotionally and spiritually. And I absolutely loved that. Um, you know, she didn't have to take the time. This is just a few years ago to contribute or to want to give me that kind of personal warning or information. Everyone I know that knew her, she treated them the same way. She never brushed anybody off or looked down condescendingly on people who were just coming into the paranormal field. Not at all. I think she was like our guardian angel. And it's just so weird people still say her name and it feels like, what? Um, but the thing about her is she left behind this huge legacy of work, which inspired me because I always felt like, you know, I wanted to leave something behind that would outlive me. And that's exactly what she's done. We have a massive body of work of her that it will always be guiding people in, in and out of the field, you know, and, and newcomers. Anybody who's interested in a whole variety of things wrote about. I believe that to be the case, and it would not surprise you, Marie, to learn that many others feel the same way. It's easy and entirely justified to look upon Rosemary Ellen Guiley as a role model and an advocate for people who want to enter the field of paranormal investigations, especially as writers. And I would say that goes double for women because she understood the way the corporate games are played. She knows the meaning of glass ceiling. And so Rosemary would do her best to encourage women to get involved and not be intimidated by any sort of old boys club, not take no for an answer. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. She was really a role model of mine. And I also feel like she was very fearless because a lot of the things she wrote about were very frightening. And there were a lot of unknown anomalies associated with things like the skin and negative entities. She went forward into her research 
you know, almost fearless. I'm sure she had fear. It did matter. You know, she really was passionate about what she was doing and wanting people to, to know what was out there and what her investigations and experiences were. So I think she's going to go down in history as one of the greats. Um, and she already has, really, for all of the things that she's done for me. Uh, again, I have goosebumps because we're talking about her. <laughs> Well, I, I agree with what everything that you said, um, Marie, about her uh, going down in history, and she has influenced a lot of people in the uh, paranormal community to keep going and write what they're writing. When we last spoke to her, she was talking about how this was a very early interest of hers, going back to her teen years. And so it was the coming together of her interest in writing and her interest in the paranormal. And she was a hugely prolific writer of over 50 books, I believe. And so um, it was like a lifetime. It was was really her mission in this lifetime. But as you said, it wasn't just selfish. She also wanted to bring others with her and encourage them as well. So thank you for sharing that recollection with her. That was oh, very nice. You're so welcome. You know, any any props that I could give to Rosemary anytime. I just you know, she was she's still one of my role models and I think she always will be. Uh, even outside of the paranormal, like you said, as a writer, I just love that she just, you know, never stopped. She always had something new to say and she loved to say it in the context of a book. I can, I can respect and appreciate that. <laughs> Gary and I have been reading Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings this week, and we have just had such a ball reading it to one another and talking about it and finding things that we did not know that we are hearing for the first time from your research and your work. And I have to tell you, it's a fun, fun read. It reads like a thrill ride. Stories of fame, death, and ghostly immortality. And you have so many famous names and locations and stories in here. And we thought, what better way than to, with all the the many things that are in here, to touch upon a few of them and give people some idea of what it is that this book is about. Absolutely. And I do have to say that this was another book that, my wonderful publisher, Rosalie Press, approached me with. And I thought, oh my gosh, that'll be so fun and so easy. But what happened was there turned out to be 10 books worth of material that I researched. And it then became one of the most fun but difficult books I've ever written because I felt like, what do I include and what do I leave out? I was so stressed out about it. But you know, so a lot of, of the things that are in here, I felt like was really great fun. And I wanted it to be something that people could look at as almost like a manual, uh, a field guide. But let me tell you, there's probably nine more books worth of material out there, folks. There's a lot of content stories and locations and people that um, I didn't include. You know, I can believe that. I I can believe that you had to leave out an awful lot just to get to this book, which has so many things in it. I'm going to start out with a little bit of a generic question, and I will let you pick 
whatever spectral image that you would like to answer it. But one of the things that intrigued me always has, and I've never asked anybody this question to my knowledge, and that is talk about ghosts who are seen in more than one location. Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you asked that because that was one of the biggest things that came out of writing this that kind of freaked me out a little, too. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, do ghosts travel? Do they have passports? I I have to assume, and one of the main ghosts that people see in different locations, we're not talking about, you know, weeks or months apart. Oftentimes, people will report seeing the ghost of Vegas one of our favorites, you know, ghost, he gets around in several different places at one time. So I start to think, well, okay, are they seeing of energy that he left behind at his favorite places? Possibly, although some people have reported that there's more of a sentience or an awareness of the ghost, that, that the ghost is being watched. Um, but it just made me wonder do we have more to do with this than we think? Are we seeing the ghosts of these people in places that we expect to? Uh, or on the other side, is it possible to be more than one place? You know, if somebody goes back to that sort of quantum world where anything is possible and they're existing amongst this field of potentiality, you know, maybe that accounts for them being in different places, different realities at different times, all at the same time. One thing, though, that somebody said to me when I I was talking about that was, well, maybe they're seeing the ghosts of Elvis impersonators that have died. And I started laughing. I thought that was hysterically funny. And then I stepped back and thought, wouldn't that be uh, hysteric? You know, wouldn't that be a riot if that were true? Wouldn't it be interesting if people were reporting Elvis ghosts, and some of them were, you know, these diehard fans of Elvis impersonators who passed on, and now they're being seen haunting the location of the person that they most love? That's a really interesting question. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is another ghost that people have seen in several different places. We know that usually a ghost will have a particular place that they hang out, whether it's their former home, um, a favorite restaurant, bar, a hotel that they stayed at a lot, a graveyard. That's another question. Why are ghosts in the graveyard? Because they could die there. So this book, even though it was fun, and I get to report on all these great stories, a lot of questions like that for me that I still don't know that we've actually answered. Well, Marie, I like the fact that you posit several possibilities uh, about that. And uh, you, you mentioned one today that I hadn't even thought of. I mean, there is the idea that uh, in another uh, dimension that we can be in more than one place at a time. And, and then there's this idea that maybe all those impersonators are, are traveling around in their Elvis costumes. Because I was going to say, if you're seeing all of these Elvis ghosts in Las Vegas, there's probably a very good reason why. But Exactly. <laughs> but, you've pro- but probably Elvis has been seen in a, a number of locations besides 
his home and and uh, and Las Vegas, and so yeah, that really does. that I that I heard for the very first time that you said in here is it doesn't make sense that you see a lot of ghosts in graveyards because that's not where they died and I thought oh my gosh she's right they didn't die there they died at home they died in a hospital they died in a car crash or a plane crash and yet you see all these ghosts hanging around cemeteries how odd is that it is and I always go for the common sense logic first um even though I know that when we're talking about the paranormal, anything goes. So I get being, you know, stuck and imprinted at the place of death, a car crash, a plane crash, what have you. And we know there's a lot of reports of ghostly activity in places like that. Railroad, duty, rail, where, you know, hundreds of people died. And I get wanting to haunt the places that you loved or wanting the places that your loved ones are still at, you know, because you don't want to break away from them or you have some kind of emotional bond even after death to those places. Graveyards have always been a, a sort of a thorn in my side because we we don't die in graveyards. You know, unless you're talking about a graveyard uh, groundskeeper who has a heart attack out in the hot sun, most people die, like you said, at home in a excuse me, in hospital, <coughs> in a hospice. So uh, why are we not seeing more ghosts <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, in those locations? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. Oh, 
I think there's a certain morbidity to it, Marie, so that people go where they are interred because they might attach more meaning to their own remains than the people who have gone through the grieving process, gone through the funereal rites and moved on. That would be my guess. But, uh, you know, I don't know, and I plan on being cremated anyway, so I don't know if they they can see me writing with my own dust, like Dorothy, go, you know, all that stuff, like the Wicked wicked Witch or something like that. That should make a book sometime. But I can tell you this much. I'll tell you this very quick story. There was a medium of my acquaintance who said that she was not haunted, but she was receiving images of somebody in a nearby graveyard because she lived not too far from a cemetery. And long story short, they kept saying that they didn't like the branches over their face. And she said, what are you talking about? I am laying here with branches over my face. Well, there had been some kind of flooding and and an upswell of mud there. And it turns out that she checked it out with the local cemetery and they said, we had to remove these caskets because the ground was unstable underneath and there was some flooding in the area. And so they became exposed and we had to move however many caskets. And in one of them, when we opened the casket to make sure that there was not seepage, not only was there seepage inside the casket, but the body had branches over its face. And so they <laughs> removed the branches. They corrected that problem and reinterred right. the body and this medium friend of mine stopped getting these disturbing images. Which means that we're aware of the death of what's going on with our bodies, even though we may not be in them anymore. Uh, you know, we still have sort of a conscious connection with them. I don't well, know, you know, and that brings up another point. At what point does, at what point are we no longer our body, you know, access to access dust to dust? Um, but, your argument for non-local consciousness as well that our consciousness does survive our physical body and and right you know yeah, yeah. And, and that expanded awareness might make us aware of many things simultaneously our own functioning human brains can handle thoughts so many in succession and sometimes we have cognitive dissonance so we're thinking contradictory thoughts and they give us pain because they are opposite each other at war, as it were. Exactly. So in, with the expanded awareness and time becoming past, present, and future more or less melded into one big picture, I'm not quite sure what that would look like unless we reincarnate, and I just forgot there. But with that going on, <laughs> I, can see, I can see where people would take the big picture and something can bother them because maybe they were particularly attached to their bodies. In fact, I've had people come through and I'm talking about another medium there, but they actually brought people through and they would say, uh, this lifetime, I was a very handsome cowboy in Texas. I knew how to, to bust them Broncos and I was quite popular with the ladies and I'm very proud of the way I looked during this particular lifetime, even though to walk away from, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. And so when they present themselves, it's as the handsome cowboy in Texas, even though they might have been a mailman in Philadelphia the lifetime before that. Right. And, you know that and I'm sure there are handsome mailmen in Philadelphia. That's not a put down oh, in Philadelphia yeah. mailman. I'm just but saying this one particular actually, image. <laughs> <laughs> that actually goes back to, though, how they are going to be seen in more than one place. Because if you think about what prevents that from happening to us here, it's our physical body. But on that side, if it's just consciousness, it, you know, we do hear stories of these yogis in India who have been reported in more than one place at once because they've transcended the physical. So that might actually answer that question. Well, that would be pretty fascinating in itself. And in India, that's a giant hotbed for that kind of research, especially reincarnation. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think I like here to... in the West, we don't have we don't have the focus required, to, you know, to go off for months alone and, and get inside of our minds and consciousness. We're so distracted here in the West. I, I want to get into some specific stories from your book, uh, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings, because there are some really great stories in here. Let's go ahead and take our break. And when we come back, we are talking with Marie D. Jones, and we're going to get into some of the specific stories that she has and more. And, um, uh, yeah, stay it's with It's about us. the stories, the second half of this hour. So okay. stay tuned to Manson Mitchell. It's Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. 
I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Marie D. Jones, the author of many books. And the most recent is Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. This is a very, very fun read filled with lots and lots of entries of famous people and really interesting stories and situations. And I I promise that we will get to those stories in just one quick minute. But first I want to ask you, Marie D. Jones, where is the best place for people to connect with you, a website, get your books, uh, online, social media, anything that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, So my website is real easy. It's mariedjones.com, and I try to keep it as accurate as possible. Sometimes I forget I have a website, so bear with me. Um, I'm on Twitter as Marie Jones, Facebook, Marie Jones Author, and Instagram, Marie.D.Jones. So I'm kind of wherever you want to get in touch with me. I, I try to be in as many places as I can at the same time. <laughs> Right, right. Wherever you'd like to connect. So there there you are in multiple locations. Okay. There I am. Thank God for the internet and social networking. It allows Absolutely. several different yeah. locations. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the most favorite stories that Gary and I read, and we actually made a note of it because we wanted to ask you about it today. It's the story of one of country music legends, Johnny Horton, and he had made a, a secret code in much the same way that Houdini did that said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to, to my girlfriend, my, gr- my good friend, Merle Kilgore, and this is what I'm going to say. And so he had a secret code that he gave to Merle Kilgore, but that's just the beginning of the story. What happens next is very evidential for the afterlife, and I wanted you to tell that story. Yeah, this is one of the, uh, I didn't know who John but I thought this story was so cool because a lot of celebrities were themselves very interested in ghosts and the afterlife, like Houdini, and they made pacts with people you know, if I die, I'm going to try to do something so you'll know I'm still there or what have you. So John Horton sang in the Battle of New Orleans, North to Alaska, um, Johnny Reb. From the very start of his career, he had a strong interest in the spirit world, and he often used a medium called Bernard Rick. He would, you know, do some spiritual stuff with him, and this is all from his... Uh, biography. Oh, excuse me. So he made a pact that when he died, he made this pact with his uh, good friend, Merle Kilgore. He said, I'm going to leave a message for you, a way to communicate. He actually had a feeling that he was going to die when he did this. 
So one week later, he was killed by a drunk driver. He was on his way to a show in Texas. Years later, Merle Kilgore was visiting an old friend who was a radio announcer named Bob Lockwood. So he says he introduced Kilgore on the air, and then he played Ring of Fire, which Kilgore had written for Johnny Cash. Actually, uh, co-wrote it with Jim Carter. During the song, a woman called in. Saint was part of a group of psychics that had been together the night before, the night before the show aired, and she had received an unusual name on the Ouija board. The name was Laurel Kilgore. On the Ouija board, the same spirit that had written that name had also written, The drummer is a rummer, and he can't close the beat. Now, that isn't a unique or unusual message. I don't know what is. Kilgore heard it completely freaked out because that was the secret code he had created with Johnny Okay, so it wasn't like the witch board said, hey, or hi, I'm here. Right. That's something that nobody else could have possibly known about. I mean, I didn't even know what a woman was. I had to look it up. If so the saying yeah, was the drummer is, is a... Uh, I'm sorry, Maria. I was just guessing as we read that the other day. I was guessing the drummer is a rummer and he can't keep the beat. Rummer would be... The guy likes his rum, he gets drunk, and then he can't keep the beat. He's supposed to be driving yeah, right? the song as a drummer. <laughs> so it rhymed, and that's his way of saying the guy is too drunk to play the drums well. I mean, what a great message, because we always hear about people, you know, experimenting with things, getting really, even EVP, you know, electronic voice phenomenon, getting one or two words, and they can be very vague. But this was a very specific message that uh, I don't think could have been mistaken. And the fact that this lady got it, you know, out of the blue while she was with her yes. friends. Yes, yeah, that, that was funny. a great, yeah. That would be a very improbable event. <laughs> yes, and that what well, was so intriguing like, uh, about that one. Yeah, it's like Johnny Hurt knew that, this, you know, Merle was going to be on uh, a radio show, so he figured, hey, listen, i got to come through somewhere, and that's where it came through. Let me and, ask you, so oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Suzanne. And we, we've heard that before, um, the mediums, psychic mediums who have a well-developed talent are seem to be like little beacons that the spirit world can see from the other side and say, oh, there's a place where we can we can uh, posit a message. And so yeah. it, it seems as though if you have that skill that um, the spirit world is looking to use that to deliver messages. And we've heard that repeatedly on here where they're, they're looking for somebody who can, can hear or see or communicate with the spirit world because they want a message delivered. And so that was the other interesting right. thing about this group right. of psychics getting together with the Ouija board and they're getting Merle Kilgore's name and the message. Yes. So to me, that was well, very that evidential. They had the synchronicities involved too, that they had to, you know, been listening to the radio show or somehow aware that there was, going to be this radio show with Merle on it so that they could call in and get through at the exact right time. So it, it is really, <laughs> it's almost like it was engineered from the other side. 
But I, I do agree with you. I think that there are people that have a great talent to service channels between, um, you know, one reality and another. I think that also kind of plays into people that perceive paranormal phenomenon where there are a lot of us that don't or can't. So there's something about those people having that ability to be like a, a doorway. And that just shows you that even on the other side, they may still have laws of physics and uh, laws of nature that they have to abide by on that side. And they need to find that same open doorway there that we're all looking for on this side. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. And to me as well. I'd like to move on to some famous Hollywood ghosts, Marie, in particular. But let's start right up there at the top. Marilyn Monroe, fascinating to generations of moviegoers and idol worshipers. What can you tell us about the spectral visitations of that blonde bombshell who is so famous around the world even today? I'm convinced that ghosts play around with us while we're on radio shows. That happens to me a lot. Anyway, um, yeah, so Marilyn is one of those multi-location ghosts like Elvis who was seen in positive places but also in pretty tragic places. She often has been reported to haunt her great person her Brentwood home. Her tomb, which is at the Westwood Memorial Cemetery in Los Angeles, California, and a very haunted location, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel that I myself have been in. Um, and that location, there's actually a certain room. It's room 229 that her apparition has appeared dancing or walking around. She's also appeared in the hotel ballroom. Are we still on? Yes, yes. I'm hearing you. In oh, the ballroom. Okay. I'm hearing you. Yeah. I'm hearing so many things. She's, uh, she's appeared by the pool like posing hmm. as if she were, um, you know, before admiring fans. Mm-hmm. Her life was very tragic. Obviously, the way she died was very tragic. Yes. And that's why some people touring the White House, which is probably one of the most haunted locations in the world, people have actually seen her ghost walking with the ghost of John F. Kennedy because they were romantically involved. And her, her death is that we've had a... Uh, uh, you know, a great deal of mystery about it. How did she die? Was that really the cause of death? So uh, those are just some of the places. Oh, she's also, let's see. <clears throat> well, she's been seen at certain locations where a lot of other famous legendary actors and actresses have. Almost like they all like to hang out in their old uh, locations when they were at the heights of their career. And that would make sense to me. I would, I would do that if I were a ghost. You'd, you'd hang out at your old haunts, too, huh? Your favorite ones, anyway. I would That's why we go the places you know, that I had the most fun, or I'd, or I'd find my son, and I'd want to hang out with him, and he would probably think I was annoying, but, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you, again, Marilyn also is very often reported being outside of her tomb. So, well, that's, why, that's why these places are called haunts. Exactly. Exactly. 
And, you know, you wonder if maybe they're just reenacting the same emotions and experiences in death that they did in life, and that would include the positive and the negative. Marie, uh, you said that the White House was one of the most haunted places in the world. What kind of ghosts are seen there? I'm assuming Abraham Lincoln, but who else? Oh, gosh, Lincoln, he sure got around, I tell you. And um, you know, has his ghost been seen? But colleagues, uh, you know, friends, his wife, and it's not just Lincoln. Obviously, the White House and a lot of the uh, places in Washington, D.C., you know, that are rich in history. Just as we have Hollywood ghosts that hang out, celebrity ghosts, we have a lot of historical ghosts. So Lincoln has appeared all over the White House. He's appeared before his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln. He was supposedly photographed. Uh, a lot of people think the photo was a hoax, but... Eleanor Roosevelt, while she stayed at the White House, saw the ghost of Lincoln. I thought that was a hoop because later on, you know, I'm sure people <laughs> saw her ghost. Um, let's see. Press secretary to Dwight Eisenhower, press secretary to Lady Bird Johnson. These are people that spent a lot of time there and saw a lot of ghosts of, of Lincoln wandering around. His former seamstress heard him walking around on the upper level of the White House. Um, and the staff would have the staff at the White House that would say, oh, it's just old age up there pacing. I guess he liked to pace a lot. Uh, other than that, let's see. We have Abigail Adams, who was married oh. to Don Adams. Right. She would hang out. Yeah, she would hang laundry out to dry in the east room of the White House on warm warm and dry days. And after her death, her ghost was reported in the same room, wearing her usual cap and lace shawl, and her arms would be outstretched as if she were holding a pile of laundry. So that's kind of cool. Um, You know what I find interesting about that is, in the White House, you know, if you're the First Lady, they have people that can do that for you today. (laughs) But maybe not back in the 1800s. Like a housewife, you know? I find that I fascinating. Know, I guess I guess she was bored and figured I'll I'll do the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is the ghost of Andrew oh. Jackson. Andrew Jackson, uh, yes. Yeah, Harry Truman have wow. shown up. Uh, another first lady that's been seen is Dolly Madison, wife of President James Madison. She now you just talked about the laundry. Her ghost has been seen around the famous rose garden that she herself liked to work in. Oh. Yeah, you could have people, landscapers, that do that, but she loved this particular rose garden so much that people have claimed, garden workers claim, the ghost of Dolly Madison would appear and refuse to let them dig up her beloved garden. And people in the White House would often smell the, the scent of roses, which were her favorite her favorite flower. I also so wanted to get in this. Uh, <laughs> now, that's the White House, but uh, ghosts of presidents and first ladies can be seen elsewhere, recognizably, it seems. And I'm mindful of the story that you wrote about near Gettysburg, where the ghost of Mamie Eisenhower has been seen. Tell that story. 
Yeah, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was president in 1952. He and his wife, Mamie, lived in a farmhouse just adjacent to the famous, notorious Gettysburg Battlefield. Again, one of the most haunted locations, outdoor locations, certainly. They, um, the place was pretty run down when they moved in, but they wanted to stay there at a, as a retreat. And they stayed there till Mamie's death in 1979. It became a National Historic Landmark shortly after that. But also shortly after her death, strange things things were being reported by park rangers, landscapers, people working on restoring the area. They would see apparitions of Mamie. They would hear thumping noises and music coming from an empty guest room in the farmhouse. So they bought in a psychic named Ann Gelman, Gebbin, to investigate the farmhouse in 1982. And she spoke with the rangers. She uh, said that she communicated with the spirit of Mamie's former maid, Rose Wood. She talked to other farmhouse spirits, including a little boy and a Native American spirit both of whom encouraged her to have the Park Service acknowledge the area's historical importance, which they actually did go on to do. So, again, it was, you know, not only communicating with Mamie about her beloved rose garden behind the home and the area that she loved so much, but a lot of other ghost spirits that were hanging around probably from, you know, lifetimes long before Mamie as well. So it's not always the presidents that get all the, the you know, so the spotlight, the celebrities. Sometimes their wives do. I find that fascinating. Anything to do with the the White House, but it seems that when it when you hear talk of ghosts in the White House, it's never truer than of Abraham Lincoln himself. In fact, I remember hearing this during a press conference that Ronald Reagan held when he was newly installed, he said that his little dog Rex would growl and bark and scratch at the door of the Lincoln bedroom and refuse to go inside it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, There's also a story that the president was watching TV with Nancy and Rex was standing on his hind legs barking at something overhead on the ceiling. Um, and, And so... Reagan wondered if the dog was hearing some kind of high-pitched noise, you know, as, as they do, or perhaps a ghost. And uh, Reagan's own daughter, Maureen, and her husband saw, saw the ghost of Lincoln in the Lincoln bedroom staring out the window. So, as we heard before, you know, there were people that would report and hearing pacing coming from upstairs. And that could possibly be what the dog was hearing. So we know it's not just humans that are seeing and responding to this, but they're pets, too. That, to me, is the great lore of all this. I'm just fascinated by it. And it's every aspect of society, from presidents and celebrities to people who just live down the street. It could be, you know, a neighbor, your Uncle Harry, you name it. Amazing stuff. I wanted to uh, give equal time to some of the pop stars of days gone by to start with the ghost of Jim Morrison apparently a lot of sightings maybe elsewhere but in Paris where he's buried particularly 
Yeah, he's another one that, um, you know, died young, died tragically, and has been seen in quite a few places. He actually died of a drug overdose in his apartment in Paris. And that's where his ghost is often seen. But he also had his former uh, recording studio, which was Sunset Sound. And a lot of dead musicians seem to like hanging out at their studios. Warren Zevon haunts the cave where he spent time making records. So uh, uh, Jim Morrison has been seen around the, it's called the, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Père Lachaise Cemetery, but also the actual uh, apartment where he was, he had the drug overdose and died. So then again, you know, here he's hanging out at very negative locations, the place of death, the place where he was buried, but also the recording studio. And there were some famous photographs taken for Rolling Stone magazine in 2009 that supposedly showed his image um, behind the headstone. And, oh, you know, there have been a lot of attempts to debunk those, but it's not the first time that people have reported these photographs that celebrity goes. And I think our natural instinct is to, to kind of debunk them, but who knows? Maybe they still want to be celebrities even after death. It could well be. And that reminds me of how much Photoshop messes with you paranormal investigators. You have to weed through all the fakes, which, and let's face it, photos were faked at the dawn of the photographic era. But now with Photoshop, it makes it especially difficult to try to authenticate a photo. Yeah, it's kind of ironic because the very fact that now everybody, and this goes for the UFO phenomenon as well, phenomenon as well, the fact that everybody has a camera at the ready, you know, women have their cell phones in their purses and men have their cell phones in their wallets, we're getting, we have the ability now to photograph something that we see as we see it instead of, oh, darn, I wish I had my camera with me, this is really cool, I'm just going to go to the baby too. Well, now we can take pictures immediately. But that also means that we're going to get hundreds, if not thousands, of faked, uh, altered, you know, images, videos on YouTube that somebody just wanted to get attention. So even as we now have this wonderful ability to get more data, more evidence, circumstantial as it may be, of paranormal activity, we also have to deal with the fact that there's more of a chance that it could be faked. With three minutes to go, I, I just, we're, you know, you and I are big Beatles fans, Suzanne, so I guess I'd like to hear about the ghost of John Lennon. I would, too. Uh, all right, let me find that. I literally have to write down things here. Well, I you can know, tell you, one of the things Paul McCartney said was that they went into a studio when they were filming Anthology, which came out, I believe, in 1995, and they were working on Free as a Bird a John Lennon song, they were finishing it. They were putting yeah. the Beatles' touches to it. And they went to some, I forget if it was a synthesizer or whatever musical instrument it was, some keyboard instrument. And long story short, they didn't have to touch it and it started playing. This was something that yeah. had not been used in a couple of decades. It just sat there exactly. collecting dust and it began to play when they entered the room. Yeah, no, he again is someone who's 16 at the uh, Dakota building that he was shot outside of. 
Dakota Dakota Apartments in New York City, but it's also good scene in the studio. Um, another pop star, Liam Gallagher, who was the lead singer for Oasis, said that he saw John Lennon's ghost while they were recording an unfinished symphony of Lennon's with, uh, written with Paul McCartney. And um, Lennon has appeared at the foot of, of uh, Barbara Darwell, who was a parapsychologist's bed. He has appeared in a lot of photographs that people have taken in all different areas that he's supposedly visited. And one of the favorites is um, the crying lady. Uh, when he was alive, he himself saw a ghost called the crying lady wandering down the hallways of the Dakota building. He told his wife, Cynthia, about it and said that he would send her a sign when he died, one that would involve a feather. So in 1986, she said she claimed she found a jackdaw bird feather wrapped in newspaper tucked behind the fireplace of her home. There's so many different stories of Don Lennon's ghost, people that have seen it. Um, a lot of other musicians have spotted him. And, uh, you know, Excuse me, there goes my voice. Obviously, Yoko Ono has reported seeing his ghost as well. She said she saw his ghost playing a white piano in the home that they had shared. And that oh, Lenny wow. turned to her and said, don't be afraid, I am still with you. Marie D. Jones, it was wonderful having you on today to talk about celebrity ghosts and notorious hauntings. we got to have a and part I two. I just wanted to mention that you will be talking about um, highways, trains, roadways, and other bridges, mis- mysterious hauntings again this today afternoon on American Road Trip Talk. Which- 1 p.m. Pacific time with yours truly. I look forward to another conversation with Marie D. Jones. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend, everybody. This is Manson Mitchell, and you are listening to 1150 KKNW Seattle. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.